passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. On Saturday, November 19th, post-wrestling turns five years old. Hi, John and Way. It's Stuart from the UK here, also on a stick on the Discord. I just want to say a massive congratulations on five years of post-wrestling, and I'm really happy this venture worked out for you. It really couldn't have happened to two better guys. You are two of my favorite podcasters of all time. I look forward to everything that you do. Uh, you are definitely my favorite wrestling journalist. You're funny, you're honest, you're insightful. Honestly, if not for you guys, I wouldn't be a wrestling fan anymore. I was really starting to fall out of love with the product. And if it wasn't for your reviews and weekly updates and everything that you do regarding wrestling, I, I don't think I'd be a fan anymore. So I just want to say thank you for that. Leave your memories at memo.fm slash postwrestling. And join us Saturday, November 19th at QXT's nightclub in Newark, New Jersey for our five-year anniversary show presented by our friends at Real Digital. A live Q&A, the post-origin story, VIP meet and greet and event t-shirt with the largest gathering of the post community ever. Tickets available now at postwrestling.com slash live. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the eighteen that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the left. Oh, oh, sorry everybody, we just lost John right at the the nick of time here so um welcome to rewind or raw uh i am waiting and we are going to wait honestly until john comes back and i believe he is here at any second mr john i'm here Pollock. wow you just you know that was quite the uh quite the dropout um how you doing um i just want to make a dramatic entrance i'm doing well i'm doing i'm doing great now that my uh my computer has unfrozen i'm sorry about that yeah, that was quite the uh, you know panic moment I had there. I'm like, uh, here's the countdown, uh, and it's <laughs> here's me. the rundown way. You've got the news. Oh, you, you, you what am I gonna one. do? Yeah, oh man, I can't hold this show together. Anyway, welcome, John. I am here. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. How are you? I understand you went to a wedding this weekend. Uh yes, I did. Yes. Did anyone and? bother you in the middle of this wedding to uh, to upload anything or to do any work? Uh, <laughs> or did you have a nice, calm, relaxing break uh, from work? I had a perfectly calm, relaxing break from work. Um, and yes, somebody did message me, um, somebody by the name of um, um, John. Uh, but I mean, I completely understandable. You had quite the, quite the Saturday. So um, I had no offense taken whatsoever. My head was spinning as I'm a messaging way. Uh, can you help me and upload this show 
not connecting the dots, the whole purpose of not having way on the show was because he was, uh, he was at a wedding. Uh, so thus I realized this when he replied with a, uh, a very polite fuck off. Oh, come on. It was nothing like that. It was just a reminder. I, and I know you're somebody with a lot going on, so I totally understand. Um, yeah, no, it, I, I know who, who is, who's getting married. I, it was one of uh, Pauline's friends. You had a good time. I had a great time. Like, yeah, I had a great time because I had no pressure to like socialize i had no pressure to like like i didn't know really anybody except like you know sort of like um the 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 bride and then like one other couple so like i had no kind of real pressure to like make too much small talk like it's great just kind of it was kind of like being a wedding crasher at like um a wedding that i was actually invited to See, I would feel the opposite. If I didn't know anyone, I would feel that pressure to have to engage in conversation um, in a very kind of surface level way. So I, mm-hmm. I like how you went into this. Not without any of that. It's like, hey, man, I'm going to have a drink. I'm just going to sit back. You want to talk to me? You can come up and talk to me, but I'm not engaging. You know, like I, I kind of had this thought where like I feel like in the past I would have felt that way. But now I don't. And I don't know if that's just because, um, you know, of getting older or if like the pandemic has completely like robbed me of my social skills. And I've just been like so comfortable kind of being antisocial now. I cannot blame sure. the, pa- I cannot blame the pandemic for, uh, for uh, a lack of uh, th- those skills. But maybe, maybe you can teach me along the way because this sounds like a wonderful space to be in. Uh, embrace this. Yeah, no, I had a great time. You know, I mean, obviously it would have been nice if, uh, you know, to, to go to a place with people that you actually know too. But, um, I, I, I definitely had enjoyed the night out, you know, without, without the baby and everything. So oh, well, yeah. well, good for you. I'm glad you had a great weekend. Um, we are going to go through a lot of news today that was, uh, coming out at a pretty uh, rapid pace and then to a barn burning edition of raw from Wilkes-Barre. Oh, the barn was burnt. The barn was burnt. Yeah. To, and, to, to ashes tonight yes hidden cameras cash-ins 24 7 championships i mean this this show had it all that that third hour i mean the uh the creme the de la creme yeah. of uh raw over the last while so yeah buckle up for that one uh we will uh note off the top that uh on tuesday way and i are going to be coming back with our favorite topic, small talk with one another. We will voluntarily engage in such chatter uh, with the two of us uh, for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members. Uh, these are shorter shows, and if you enjoy talk, these are kind of like a little morsel of them where we'll give you just enough to want a little bit more, and then we're going to pull it away from you. So that will be uh, dropping sometime on probably Tuesday evening and uh, subject to be determined. Uh, completely unknown you know we just kind of turn the mics on and then see what occurs yeah there, there's i would say there's substantial enough you know last time i think we went about like 50 minutes or something and they're just little bonuses we like to do for uh you know our double double ice cap and espresso patrons these are patrons that uh have pledged above you know the usual tier and it's just kind of our way of thanking them because you know pretty much everything we do is for like the the base tier so just a, a little bit of extra for those guys yes and if you are part of the post wrestling cafe. You can go check out my battle autumn review from Sunday, 40 minutes chatting about this new Japan show, which I know you were busy this weekend way, but the, uh, the main event of that new Japan show was, um, that was certainly my match of the weekend. And I would probably extend that, that time period much beyond just this weekend. This was a just 
first of all, this was a really great show. I think it's a show New Japan sorely needed. Um, and this main event was just, uh, I, I cannot praise it enough. I was, <laughs> this was on Saturday morning. I was watching this at about eight in the morning and was just, um, could not believe what I was watching as I was, uh, on several hours of sleep. I actually caught it. You know, I actually caught two of the matches on the show, John. You'd be surprised because um, but, uh, not just the main event, but uh, the other very important match, of course, had my interest in Hikuleo versus <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Of course. How could I miss it? You know, all this build. Um, thankfully, they, got you. Was, they hooked you. Yes. Well, you know, it resulted in hooking me for about 28 seconds, which I thought was a more than appropriate amount of time for Yujiro versus Hikuleo. Did you watch any of Crown Jewel? I watched all of it. Yes. You watched all of it. Okay. Yeah. Because I wanted to uh, talk a bit about Crown Jewel because I definitely had a lot of thoughts coming out of Saturday after we did the post show. And as well, they went into it a bit on, on WrestleNomics. And I have always kind of prefaced these shows when we get to them that I always struggle with them. I don't know what is the level, the type of coverage that people want out of these that I, personally I want out of them. And... I feel that we have gotten into this pattern that we did the initial show, the, the very first one, the greatest Royal Rumble. Like we went into that show and then coming out of it, like you and I had very similar feelings about this is not a normal wrestling show. This is something else. And neither of us felt comfortable about reviewing this as just a wrestling show. We knew what this was and what this was not and did a much different type of show later that year in 2018 after the Jamal Khashoggi murder. And I, you know, let, let me just say like for me that after the, the first one, I, I don't know if I was as much on that side of things. Like I probably, you know, okay. I was not necessarily for them, but like, I don't, I think I accepted them maybe a lot more than I certainly did after, you know, the, the, the Khashoggi uh, murder and everything. So I, I feel like I, I kind of, grew my awareness of everything to do with Saudi Arabia as this whole experiment or, or this sort of um, deal with, with the WWE and the government went along. So that was sort of how we approached those ones. And then we, you know, it, it started like there was a, a removal. Uh, they continued on with these. We had the pandemic. So there was a period of a year and a half where they did not go over there. They returned last uh, October and so they have done now three shows since the pandemic uh, has has ended, quote unquote. And we're at a point now where this is eight shows in. And I think more than ever, and this was reflected in how the WWE approached this show over the weekend, that it is safe to go back in the water, uh, so to speak, that we are going to treat this show this past weekend as our welcoming of the Saudi Arabian government praise for Mohammed bin Salman like they went full out here and it is almost as though this has been just a you know beat down your your critics to just have either you do not watch these shows it's out of sight out of mind or you're just conditioned that these are just another pay-per-view these are not another pay-per-view and and that was my feeling overall coming out of the weekend is that this is Sport washing in practice. We are seeing it, and this is what happens. And do we kind of raise up these issues twice a year? I know that we are not going to be covering world politics on a weekly basis on this show, but I think for our sort of niche here where this – and I separate these shows 
significantly from any other type of wrestling shows where you are being paid this level of money for twice a year from the where you are in business with the government. I see this as a much different deal than any type of wrestling show. And I think like there is that responsibility to be looking at at these these issues and sort of just assessing the the coverage that these shows should have because they have reached a point now where I think by and large people are just looking at these as the monthly pay-per-view and certainly the company feels that way to be as brazen as they were this past weekend which was many steps uh, towards what this was always intended to be and that they had shied off with for several years Mm -hmm. right yeah um it's it's a it, 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 it's a struggle, you know, for somebody in our position, I think, um, at least, you know, speaking for you and I, um, every time we come across one of these shows, you know, how do we effectively cover it? How do we effectively do our jobs, which I would consider to be um, show reviews, wrestling reviews, in addition to news? How do we balance the two um, while, I think, satisfying both of those objectives? Mm, and I think... You know, obviously, we will lean more towards the news side when there is news, um, especially for the Hachoji murder. Um, and I think, you know, in the case of like the press conference, you know, we I, I, I led the, the Friday show off with yep. it, you know. Um, so I think when there's actual news, we will appropriately focus on it. But I also know my role here. And I think what the audience is also looking for is uh, a discussion of the show itself. So I think we always try our best now, like when it comes to, um, can you like, is there, is there sort of like, um, a, a responsibility to, to never focus on the shows and the matches themselves, um, too much, you know, without also maybe making a bigger deal out of like the, the politics of the entire deal about the, the, um, I don't know, numerous human human rights offenses that, that still occur. Um, that part might be a bit more difficult for me to answer. Um, I, I suppose like I'm more of the mind that like when there's news to discuss, we will discuss the news when there's wrestling to discuss. I mean, that's part of my job to discuss that as well. Yeah. I think it's just, it, it, it is very clear to, to most people, like what the, the purpose of this show is. It is like, this is a transaction and what is expected of this roughly $50 million per show. And I, and I think Friday gave you a pretty, pretty clear insight into what that $50 million is, is, is bringing to the government of Saudi Arabia and this endorsement of this uh, worldwide entertainment company that descends upon their country and places them on a pedestal to their audience and presents it as such. And I, I think like there has to be sort of those kind of checks and balances about what, what is the message here that is being either explicitly stated or heavily implied that, that these shows are designed to be conveying. This would not be a case of if you take away this government deal that WWE would be rounding up its crew, taping an edition of SmackDown a week ahead and flying everybody over for what is a, a, a top tier like list of matches and talent that they are broadcasting on Peacock and 
this would not be happening without that that enormous amount that they are making for these shows where they will uh, bend over backwards, where they will uh, stage an event the day before a SmackDown, even if that next day's episode is in doubt and you have to call up your NXT crew to fulfill your Fox contract like that is uh, going to you know these extremes to make sure these shows take place and that this transaction continues. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, and this is know, it. This photo op is invaluable well, for what this is for what is being seeked. Yeah, like I, I would say, content you know outside of their usual sort of system is always you know is going to go to the place where where they can make the most money, and and that would be an understatement when it comes to this particular deal. You know, I, I believe Brandon Thurston had some sort of metrics, um, some sort of uh, stats, just kind of indicating comparing a WrestleMania over its entire. Uh, lifetime of WrestleManias to um, eight of these events since 2018. Yeah. It's, it's something ridiculous like that. Um, we all, I, I would hope that if you're listening to this podcast and if you've listened to kind of like, you know, our, our coverage of, of these events by now and the coverage of WrestleNomics and people sort of like in our sphere, you already know the deal. Like these are people that are being paid to put on an entertaining show to effectively promote, Mm, the name of Saudi Arabia. And I would say, you know, obviously it, it, it's been certainly more subtle and more covert than it was that very first show where they showed that video package. They haven't done that yet, but it is getting back to that. It, it's headed towards that direction again. And I, I think, you know, maybe most egregiously this weekend with, you know, uh, the thanking of the crown prince, the thanking of his, uh, his excellency, bringing about his excellency onto the stage um, where, it was um i don't have his name in front of me uh, unfortunately um you know vince know used to just know. remove one of your names but they removed all of uh, mbs's names i found that pretty pe- peculiar too the fact that they did not stephanie and triple h did not by name say mohammed bin salman um and the mbs chant was not started by either vince or stephanie it was start- started by this gentleman i i wish i had the name in front of me i do not um but the representative i would at least say you know of the, of the uh, ksa government so um i have to imagine they might not be so happy about their faces being attached to an mbs chant um that said though is there any mainstream press that is talking about this, like the fact that there was an MBS chant at a WWE. I, I saw no, conference. I saw no critical not. response. To, response no hot water there right now compared to, you know, the two years ago. And I think this probably gave them more permission to, you know, go deeper into promoting Saudi Arabia and Riyadh and, and really kind of anything to do with, with, you know, this, this entire, the point of this entire promotion the next time around. Yeah. And I mean, they are, at this point where, I mean, like live golf is such a, a huge topic of like whether they can secure a rights deal in the U.S. that they would be willing to like a, like a U.S. broadcaster would be willing to to get into business with the, with this golf league out of Saudi Arabia. And it's, you know, WWE, it's as much as it is, as it, is, as it has grown, it can still fly under that rate they are not going to receive that level level of criticism they did around what sports that- league is is though right now john you know like again we're, we're a couple of years removed from the murder um f1 you know freely goes there i i don't well again i, I wasn't really following like live the live uh, sort of like uh race at the, at the time so i can't necessarily say there's also was also like a predicament where like they were actually experiencing like fire 
you know, uh, during one of their practices. So that probably received a bit more attention. But next time they go to Saudi Arabia, I doubt that they'll there there will be too much of an outcry. You know, like what what sport would get that negative attention right now? I mean, right now, like certainly, I think uh, with the World Cup coming up, like there there is a lot of focus on that. It's but hard. I mean, Fox is the broadcaster of the World Cup, and they have pretty much state like if you're tuning into Fox, you are not going to be getting journalism into like they are presenting the soccer, like they're just flat out. We're not straddling this this in between line of journalism and entertainment. It's like you are here for the soccer, and we are just going to present the the, the soccer, like pretty much putting their their cards on the table. But th- there will be a lot of attention towards that um uh, but but you're right like it is a lot more convenient for those to you know be be in business here and the criticism is you know save for a massive world event which the jamal hashoji murder was and mm-hmm. you had lot like endeavor um ari emmanuel like did you know sizable like cut off a deal with uh saudi arabia at, at the time that was uh, pretty Pretty significant at the time if you want to go and, and dive into kind of his uh, personal politics at that time and, and what he went through. But um, that was where, you know, WWE just they steamrolled through the controversy. Their stock was hurt, but they got through it. They got paid for that show and they moved on and the criticism lessened after time. And that I think it does wear down audiences. I have no doubt that there will be. You know, audiences of ours that don't want to hear about this all the time. I think sometimes, though, you have to put that aside, that not everything is just about being um, positively received, but certainly what is what is your role in in covering all this? And I'll say I'm very happy with our track record of how we have covered these shows going back to 2018 and some of the people that we have had on uh, when we interviewed Brian Fogel, um, who directed the the dissident that was um, to me a really enlightening interview and a documentary I would recommend to a lot of people if they have not happened to see it and really want the kind of nuts and bolts of of that story from 2018. So, so what would you suggest would be a solution? You know, the next time we have to cover one of these things, if it, like, I don't know how you felt about the show you did with Kate on, on Saturday, but like, you know, would, would there be something you would do differently next time around? I think that it's, I, I think it's important for these shows to incorporate some element of sort of a, whether it is just what are the, the present news events that we should be aware of what is what is going on here what is the real progress that you are going to be told about on the air that is happening like how does that hold up to um the the actual world standards and and what is what is happening in saudi arabia and i think that those shows are the platform that those kinds of conversations should be on and 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 part of as well so that's sort of how how i look at them and and I, I kind of go back and forth between them. But I think this past weekend, to me, it indicates that this is what this deal was always intended to be. That first show was the most glaring. And I think if you did not have the Hishogi murder, I think that that this past weekend, this is more consistent with what these shows were intended to be and know mm-hmm. full well where they are and that this is as much a commercial for the country as it is for uh, WWE. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think... At the very least, you know, if I hope if you're um, if you care about wrestling enough, if you're passionate about wrestling enough, you know, to listen to a podcast, to find a podcast like this, I would hope that you would at least have the awareness of exactly why these shows are taking place and that we we all collectively try not to lose sight of it. You know, no matter how entertaining the shows was and the show was entertaining. I thought it was a good show, John. Um, But let's also remember um, 
the reason why it exists and um, don't lose sight of the don't I get don't get don't get blinded by perhaps the shiny object um, to cover, you know, um, some of the rea- realities of what's still going on. Yeah. And I'm open to feedback, too, from people. And if you want to contact me privately, that's uh, there's more than mm-hmm. several avenues to to do so. So I, I throw that out to people as well. But I thought it was important to kind of start the show just discussing that. And I was curious, actually, if you went back to watch the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, news that did come out that uh, we had up on the site on, on Sunday was the injury to Logan Paul after the main event, revealing that he sustained a knee injury, looking at a uh, an MCL and meniscus tear and the potential of an ACL injury, which would be very significant if it's if it's a full tear of the ACL, you're looking at probably a six to nine month window um, that he would be out. So no update as of yet on the status of his knee. But this was quite the performance from Logan Paul and coming out of it, you know, um, this guy's a tremendous athlete, but there is also a, a toll here that um, he has. So hopefully this is not too significant uh, of an injury, but has the uh, the potential to be so. I mean, it sounds pretty bad. Uh, torn meniscus, MCL and potentially ACL. You know, I I guess I'm, I'm no doctor, but like it, it, it just kind of mm, makes you wonder. Um, well, and he claims it was midway through the match, too. So it, it makes you wonder how somebody was able to do what you know he ended up doing he um, did that dive onto the usos at the end of the match remember that oh yeah and i'm sure like a whole lot more even even before this too so um i again don't don't know the severity of the injury but i will say you know as as a sort of like a mm, epilogue to the performance he had i mean it really was an effective baby face making match for him we have been very critical about the decision for logan paul from logan paul likely himself at at positioning himself as a baby face throughout the, this entire program since um i guess he he had feuded with the miz it it's been largely completely ineffective in live settings anytime he had to you know take the stage against the bloodline i have a feeling coming out of this match you know the man earned some very real respect from a lot of his critics, um, us included. And I think, you know, now knowing that he even did it with an injury, it's sort of like the perfect, like baby face making thing. Um, and, and again, I, I feel like he earned it. Like it was, it was a, a very fun match and he, I kind of would like rank him above Pat McAfee, you know, certainly above bad bunny, at least, you know, in terms of our current class of celebrity, um, maybe above Rhonda, honestly, like in, in terms of our cl- current class of celebrity turd wrestlers. He's at the top. He's, a, he's mm-hmm. at the top for me. And I was not too concerned about the match going into it. I think they've still, um, I, I think the baby face role, it, it, it's odd because he gets such, he's such a natural heel. But you watch his matches, and it is tailor made for this this baby face. So I think you have to kind of find that that spot for him. But the performances are just it's one after the other so far. And granted, we have three, but it's it's quite the performance way that he's had. Than they should be, John. I know, think that everyone three. has come away impressed. Um, yeah. and and I would say that was the case by. I would say even after WrestleMania, if mm-hmm. that wasn't enough, SummerSlam was um, that performance. Yeah. And this was um, above those. So, I mean, he continues to be a, a tremendous performer and, and one that probably should not be a weekly performer, but somebody that can mm-hmm. come in and do several matches a year, do them at a high level. Um, but yeah, um, this knee injury certainly could put um, plans into doubt if it's a significant time on the sidelines. 
Right. I guess, I guess the big question now is, you know, is he able to make WrestleMania? You know, that would understandably be the place where you kind of throw your biggest names, you know, uh, is a bad bunny available? Is a Pat McAfee available? They're certainly going to be looking towards, you know, Logan Paul wanting to make an appearance, but if Logan isn't available, could another Paul brother be? I cannot imagine that that finish to the show is not, you know, planting the seeds for the hope of doing something with those two down down the ro- down the road. I mean, you you got to teach Jake Paul how to throw some working punches, but certainly that can yeah. be done. Yeah, yeah, and maybe punching isn't their thing. Maybe he's a maybe he's a high flyer too. You know, maybe maybe I don't I don't know, but um, that was quite the uh, spectacle. And um, you know, if you're WWE and if you're Paul Levesque, I mean. I'm sure you're going to be making, you know, courting Jake Paul uh, a top priority whenever his boxing is done. On Monday, Natalia posted a a photo about uh, undergoing a, a procedure on her nose. So th- the way this went down is that Friday's angle with Shayna Baszler was just that. It was an angle uh, designed to... Uh, be a cover so that Natalia could go for this nasal surgery that she was scheduled to have. And apparently she has had this issue with her nose for a really long period of time and finally uh, got it taken care of. So that was the um, angle for Friday. And it was an angle. She was not injured in the match with Shayna Baszler. So um, potentially, you know, writing her off as she recovers from this and then comes back with, a story potentially with Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. Yeah. Upon watching the angle on Friday, I mean, I, I, I feel like you could kind of tell by the color of the blood, because I feel like at this point we're all pretty used to seeing like what real blood looks like. I was, I, I and I think most people immediately sort of reacted to it as like, Oh, okay. It's an angle. I mean, the way it was set up with, you know, putting all the focus on Shayna with the knee and everything. But then this photo comes out and everybody, I would say had a double take. You know, thinking, oh, my God, was this actually legit? Because this certainly looks like a very legitimate hospital photo. And it wasn't just this. Like she was Instagramming stories or at least like had a photo in her stories from the hospital bed as well. So um, the reaction coming out of this for at least momentarily was a, a lot of real genuine concern. But then I think like, you know, you have to do a bit more detective work and, and, and logical thinking. The fact that it was a taped show, the fact that she if you did a bit of research, you know, she was working the European tour um, prior to Crown Jewel as well. Um it just and the fact that they did this with Aaliyah recently too, you know, mm-hmm. or at, or at least some time ago uh, to cover up for like a nose operation. Um, I thought she played it really well though, Natalia. You know, like choosing to um, send these photos from the hospital bed after you know what was supposed to be a scheduled procedure, but kind of laying the blame on Shayna. I, I thought she did it really well. The 30th anniversary of Raw is has been announced for January 23rd in Philadelphia and. The uh, the Wells Fargo Center uh, sent out a logo for this particular event in the old uh, Raw is War style of logo. But Raw is going triple X on January 23rd. After all these years, it's it's very rare you get to do a first on Raw. But here they are, their 30th anniversary. And it looks like low-key Elix Skipper and Christopher Daniels will be finally coming into WWE together. <laughs> Is that the first thing you think of when you think of those letters together? Uh, yes, absolutely. I go to triple X. It might be. Well, cause I was thinking of another TNA, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's cool. You know, I mean, of course, like, um, anytime maybe they, they do something somewhat unconventional. Um, I mean, it's not even unconventional. WrestleMania 30 was stylized as, as triple X as well. 
it it looks cool. They might come up with some uh, people choosing to Google raw is triple X might come up with some very interesting uh, Google image search results. But but I mean, at this point, I I think it's OK. <laughs> um, do we get another DX reunion, John? Well, it's it's been, it, by that point it will have been three months. So maybe maybe Billy Gunn can uh, come on come on over for yeah. that one after uh, after Road Dog no showed the uh, the uh, the daddy ass birthday bash last week. I mean, at this point, I mean, maybe can can we get Billy Gunn and Road Dog on one show together in twenty twenty three? The big elusive, uh, yeah, New Age Outlaws reunion. But like, I mean, I don't know. Like, what other cards can they play? You know, if they're trying to make this a nostalgia show at this point. If you're if you're reading a lot into the logo, like it certainly feels like maybe you know I I think you've really exhausted the uh, the attitude era nostalgia, um, but you know I'm sure you can come up with a lot of creative ideas for it, whether it's you know a throwback to to the set or however you want to do it. Um, you know I just go back to that 25th anniversary a few years ago at the two buildings at the Barclay Center and the Manhattan Center, and that was an awful show. That was just a yeah. terrible, terrible show that felt like what a what a layup to get right, and it totally like bungled it. And I remember that was right around. I, I recall like watching like SNL's 40th anniversary. It was probably like two years before, a few years before that. But um, seeing that raw, it was just so disappointing that it just felt like it fell on its face. So they can hopefully redeem things because nostalgia can be done very effectively. And it's the easiest show for a crowd to enjoy. It's kind of hard to screw that one up, but they certainly did for the 25th. Yeah. I think extra disappointing for that one because, you know, they made a big deal about selling tickets specifically at the Manhattan center. Um, a lot of people people just sat there as they watched the simulcast. Yeah. Um, you would hope that they would have learned from, from that particular experiment. I mean, this is, you know, if anything like this is maybe, mm, the second time, or at least maybe, yeah, the first time, like maybe under the Paula Beck regime, they've had to handle one of these sort of like big nostalgia raw anniversary shows. So um, maybe you'll see something different or maybe not. I don't expect Vince McMahon on the show. I don't either. I think he's too busy out, uh, going out and eating at restaurants. Well, he has time to go out to, to restaurants. Have I you guess. seen that photo? I did. Yes. So I mean, I, I feel bad that like any celebrity, you know, gets like take like has these photos kind of taken of them like out in their private lives. But I, I guess I, I do have to comment like it was just really startling for me to see Vince McMahon as a civilian, you know, and not as like I don't know, guy doing wrestling. I mean, he went out. For, I'm sure he went out for dinner when he was running this company. I'm sure. yeah, I, I know it's just weird for me to like think of him now as a guy who's not involved in this stuff. Well, someone that's not going to be involved in the NWA for uh, too much longer is Nick Aldis, who put up an Instagram video on Sunday noting that he had requested or he had given his notice to the NWA, pulled down the video, and then uh, PW Insider uh, issued this or was issued a statement from the NWA that pursuant to the recent comments made by Nick Aldis, the National Wrestling Alliance has suspended Aldis from the main roster and effective immediately, Aldis will not appear for the Hard Times 3 pay-per-view and Revolution Rumble television tapings in New Orleans uh, this coming Saturday and Sunday. As such, the NWA reserves its right to comment on this matter at a future date. Um, so going, um, this was about uh, 100 times the uh, the level of acknowledgement compared to uh, the 
AEW investigation. Um, so uh, you have to give them some points there for at least uh, acknowledging a story that is happening involving a, a top star. But um, PW Insider also noting the fact that his contract is up at the end of the year and its chief operating officer, Joe Galley, stated on the record, this is not a wrestling angle and that all this is off the shows this weekend. He put out his own uh, response to this, stating that he was willing to fulfill his obligations to the audience. But unfortunately, the company doesn't seem to share the same values. Also responding to um, a headline about Billy Corgan talking about the Empower pay-per-view and of whether there are women that can uh, wrestle the NWA style and carry a pay-per-view that that also has contributed to all this is, I guess, disillusion uh, with this company. But mm-hmm. it's also a time if you're Nick Aldis and you're not um, you're not seeing much growth at the NWA level. This is a time when um, larger companies are going after talent. And that would be the, the obvious question here is for Nick Aldis of what interest there is for him uh, outside of the NWA. And if one of the major companies is looking to get him, it looks like this ship has sailed with the NWA and he's ready to move on. And I, I would e- even regardless of any issues you have going on with the NWA, I would think like you would want to be if your contract's up at the end of the year, you, you're 36 at this point. He just turned 36. Now is the time to kind of explore your options and see what the appetite is for your services with one of the bigger companies. So I think the NWA, like there's just there's there's just a ceiling to being in the NWA. And I think it had some novelty to it when it launched power. But to me, it's just another company in a sea of them at this point that are trying to gain attention. And it's just it's. I I don't think it's on a whole lot of people's radar. I I would actually contend that the time for him would have been like a couple of years back, you know, maybe when AEW was just getting off the ground. I think, you know, um, I mean, he and Cody sold the show at all in, you know, Um, they had the best match of of, of that night. And, and I think um, to me, maybe that would have been when Nick Aldis probably had the biggest value attached to him. Um, I, as somebody like who hasn't really been keeping up with NWA at all, like really since the before the pandemic, um, I I had no idea things were so strained, you know, between Nick Aldis and, and Billy Corgan and, and the company. Like he seemed a bit of like he did. He was the franchise player, um, uh, and and uh, you know, see, I believe like had some sort of like was a full time employee, and and did he have any sort of like executive role, John, like that you know of or. I mean, he was involved with like the, um, the like on, on the production end. He, he had been mm-hmm. involved there. I mean, like he was one of the guys with like a full time deal with, with the company. And that's going right back to, um, the relaunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, you know, unfortunately, like with the NWA not making too many headlines these days and, and kind of this being, you know, one of the bigger stories attached to them, it, it unfortunately just kind of puts into focus maybe how much that brand has, you know, uh, been hurt, um, through, through that cutting of their momentum, uh, but with the pandemic and obviously with speaking out as well. Um, and it's just something that they've really not been able to kind of claw back, you know, especially with a growing AW and, and growing kind of, you know, competitive market for a number two, or sorry, for a number three, you know, much less a number four or five or wherever at like the NWA would have fit at this point. Uh, but the question about Nick Aldis, I don't know if he's a shoe in um, at AEW at all. Like right now, I don't think so. Cause like, you know, it's already a, a roster that is already being criticized for having too many people around. Um, and I don't know if, you know, at, at, I believe 36, like the WWE um, NXT system would be a great fit for him either. So what, what do you see his options being? Impact. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I can't, I can't throw WWE as not being an option. I, I don't know what Paul Levesque thinks of, of Nick Aldis. Like certainly they have had their opportunities. Like all these companies have had their opportunities over the years. I mean, it's been it, uh, but he also had his, his issues with impact and, and left there, uh, a number of years ago as well. So, um, it would it would be you know what his thoughts are of like where where he wants to go and what kind of the the offers there are that that commands. But by the time you're 36, I would say now is the time to be exploring this. And I guess it was a uh, you know it sounds like it was a a mutual well not necessarily a mutual parting of the ways, but uh, each side more than happy to be going separate ways now. Yeah, I just you know, anytime we talk about thirty six like that, yeah, it just it makes me feel awful being thirty That's... old more older than thirty six. Um I'd be I'd be very happy if I looked like this at um, you know, thirty nine, much less, you know, thirty eight, thirty six, oh. I mean. So Well get used to it, way. Yeah. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's move on to uh, some numbers from uh, Friday night. We'll start off with SmackDown that did a 2,138,000 viewers and a 0.48 in the demo. So comparing it to two weeks ago when they were on Fox, they were down 4% in viewers, down 8.5% in the demo. These were their lowest numbers since September the 2nd, which coincidentally was the last time they had a tape show, which was the night before Clash at the Castle. Now, it wasn't a dramatic uh, decrease, but uh, lowest in almost two months. Um, they did kind of uh, recover in 18 to 34 after a lower number uh, two weeks ago. But interesting on Friday night is it was the season premiere of Young Rock on NBC running head to head with SmackDown. And this move from Tuesday nights to Friday nights, wouldn't you know it way? This was terrible for Young Rock. It did 1.8 million viewers and a 0.26 in the demo among 18 to 49, 18 to 34, 25 to 54 and overall viewers in the big four networks. This was in last place in all four of those categories. And to compare it to their season finale in March on Tuesday night, down 29% in viewership, down 40% in the demo. So this was a brilliant move, uh, taking this from Tuesday nights to uh, Friday nights. Um, It really did a number on on the well, it it didn't do a number, um, but in a figurative sense, it did for Young Rock. I did watch the episode. Becky Lynch was fantastic during her uh, small role as Cindy Lauper. Like I was very impressed with her. Um, she was definitely the highlight of this episode. Um, but I am one of the few that watched this. Um, I just didn't watch it on Friday night. 
honestly one of the more perplexing uh, moves, you know, at least in our space um, this past year is programming a wrestling dramatized show featuring professional wrestlers against WWE SmackDown. You know, the the, the like uh, arguably the, the the A show main destination of the week for a wrestling fan. Um, I don't get it. And it's also just a bad night in general. Like you're not moving this show to Fridays. <laughs> I think for, you know, this is really going to take us to the next level. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's SmackDown hurts it, but it's also f- Friday night at 830 is just a yeah. terrible night and time slot. I mean, almost, you know, yeah, I, I'd love to maybe know some of the decision making. What did they get moved out for? Um, but you know, this Becky Lynch uh, show, which you'd figure like would have pretty, you know, high crossover appeal for people that regularly literally watch wrestling i didn't really hear much about you know i saw some of these still shots but beyond that really not much um about people who actually tuned in to watch it there was a bizarre tie-in where one of the stories is right around wrestlemania one rocky johnson is sent by vince mcmahon over to saudi arabia to open up an international market for them and (laughs) while he's over there rocky johnson takes a separate non-wwf booking in Saudi Arabia. And then when he comes back, uh, Vince McMahon goes up to Rocky Johnson and turns around and says, you mind pulling the knife out of my back? So we got a Saudi Arabia storyline. And I mean, I didn't expect any big changes, but just to see like, we're fresh off this scandal series of scandals and Vince McMahon, like his character is unchanged on this show. If you've not ever seen young rock Vince McMahon, like it's, it's comedy. How much of like a saint he is portrayed as like, he is like, it's as though he's Sam Mushnick on this show. Like he's just the, the great promoter that is everyone's best friend and is the, the most ethical promoter in this shady industry. It's just, I mean, it's, it's something else just to see this portrayal of Vince McMahon and now even more so after his unceremonious exit from this industry. I saw a clip of, you know, this Vince McMahon on this young rock. It's it's a bad Vince McMahon too. On top it's of it. pretty awful, you know, for a voice that I think like so many people, I think do a pretty decent job of imitating really. It's young. none of the quirks of Vince McMahon. Like there's no yelling. It's just, I mean, it's it's it, it's such a far uh it's it's you you had that story a few weeks ago in the observer about how Vince McMahon himself allegedly had stated that he wants the Netflix series to go into everything because it would be boring if it was just a puff piece well th- this is like what you would have if it, this is the Vince McMahon puff piece portrayal on Young Rock I mean, at the very least, you know, have somebody who sounds like him. And really, they should have just hired you to play like half these characters. No, I, I don't know about that one. But um, there you go. So Young Rock on Friday nights, not off to a great start. Rampage, which is the most interesting show. I will tell you, on Friday night, Way, I wasn't doing the show with you. I was sitting down here at 10 o'clock to watch <laughs> Shabbat and Orange Cassidy. I was I was very intrigued to to watch that. They did 488,000 viewers and a 0.14 in the demo. So up the overall number, it wasn't like a crazy number by Rampage standards, but it was up from the week prior. What did get a big increase was their younger viewers. 18 to 34 was up over 62% this week and was their highest in that demo since April. And they also had a very big increase uh, in both men and women, uh, 12 to 34. So 
I, this was a younger audience that does not typically watch Rampage. The other demos, it was, it was not as pronounced, but the younger audience, and I would, I would put a lot of that on, on Tyson, number one. Um, but I've not seen the quarters yet, but I would think that that first quarter, um, was the commanding lead of Friday's episode. Yeah, I suppose so. You know, unless, um, Katsuri Shibata is really big with 18 to 34 year olds. Um, he might be. He could be. Which, which is possible, I suppose. But uh, what did you think of Mike Tyson as well as the match? I mean, I thought Tyson obviously took it very seriously. And I didn't know what to expect. And maybe they didn't either. But I I saw a guy who came in and did not want to be a punchline on the show. And, like, Mike Tyson was a massive wrestling fan growing up, uh, following, like, Bruno and in the Northeast. And, you know, he came in to do, like, a serious role on on the show i don't think he wanted to be just there for punchlines and such so i think i was pleasantly surprised as were many about how seriously he took it and i i mean i i thought the match was pretty compelling and i think that's always going to be the case when i'm watching katsuyori shibata that it's a modern miracle that we are watching him wrestle um mm-hmm. i I like gasped at that one, um, the, oh, the, the, the head scissors where Shibata just kind of went down on the head. I thought you were talking about the, you mean the belly of the back suplex spot because because that that was the one that stood out to me. Whether exchanging belly of the back suplexes and like he he was supposed to maybe land on his feet but landed on his head instead. Maybe maybe I'm conflating the two. I, I thought it had been like a like a tilt whirl head scissors spot, but I, I might be just conflating the two. Yeah, there there was the one spot I was like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's there's always going to be a, a certain level of risk, but I mean, he looked pretty good, and oh, you know, I, I could certainly see like where he sees an Orange Cassidy and wanted he was on the short list of people mm-hmm. he wanted to work with. Um, you know, th- there's just an audience that are just never going to be sold on Orange Cassidy because if you aren't by this point, I feel like you're just it's just not for you but he's a very special talent and that was the kind of match that i think you can't do it every week on a rampage but it was i think very telling that they put that on rampage and not dynamite for instance where dynamite that would have been an even bigger deal and it does show you their their attention to rampage which is back to a tape show this week so i don't know if that's going to play any any difference but um we we do have the uh, the dynamite rampage combo on Wednesday. Well, we know Katsuri Shibata is a very busy man, and he just happened to have this Friday off. And um... <laughs> you make room for Shibata. You blow out the schedule and uh, and you uh, bookmark it with a Gates of Agony Warjo match. That is it. Yeah. Uh, last couple of things here. Um, New Japan has announced the uh, the teams for the Super Junior Tag League and the World Tag League. So two tag tournaments going on simultaneously by New Japan. The Junior Tag League will have uh, your champions, Francesco Akira and TJP, Ryusuke Taguchi and Clark Connors. Kushida is back from hand, foot and mouth disease, teaming with Kevin Knight. Tiger Mask and Robbie Eagles, Alex Zane and L. Lindemann, uh, Titan and Bushi, Leo Rush and Yo, Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Doki, Ace Austin and Chris Bay coming over from Impact, and then Sho and Dick Togo. And uh, I don't know who's going to win this one. Titan and Bushi just had the match with Akira and TJP, which was awesome on uh, Saturday's card. I would lean towards Kushida, but I don't know if he's winning with uh, Kevin Knight as his partner. That seems like a... Kevin Knight winning this tournament would seem like a uh, unlikely, but he is getting paired with your biggest star in this whole thing uh, on the junior side in Kushida. Winner gets a match for the titles at Wrestle Kingdom, right? P- presumably, yes. That's how he 
usually always plays out. So, so I mean, does that process of elimination tell you, you know, who may not be a part of this championship match if, if, um, if they're going to be instead in a title match for a singles belt? Well, I was thinking like if Kushida's ready to come back, I, I would almost like to see him inserted into that four way, which mm-hmm. pretty much Master Wato took his spot. Um, that Kushida ends up there and it's a five way. I don't think anyone would be complaining if, if that was his role. I just would see. Uh, challenging for the tag titles being a little underwhelming for Kushida. But, you know, the his return to New Japan has kind of been underwhelming, and it's kind of out of his control lately with this uh, hand, foot, and mouth disease that uh, it took him out since – he's been out since September with this. I mean, it's the hand, the feet, and the mouth. What are you left with after The trifecta, that? yeah. Yeah. World Tag League. Uh, some interesting pairings here. Aussie Open, who I think – I, I think they could win this whole thing and then take on FTR at the Dome. I think that would be a big rematch. And their their first match, if you didn't see a Royal Quest, was phenomenal. Lance Archer, he's going to get to wrestle. That's tremendous news for him. The man he, should really just stay in Japan at this point. I mean, I mean, look at look at what's happened to him since the G1. We were talking at the end of the G1 of how does AEW capitalize off of this. Well, mm-hmm. we got our answer. Yeah. Wait till uh, November. He's going back here to team with Minoru Suzuki, Tanahashi, and Toru Yano. Goto and Yoshihashi, Alex Coughlin and Gabriel Kidd, Tetsuya Naito and Sonata, Great Okan and Aaron Hanare, the return of TMDK together, Mikey Nichols and Shane Haste, Fale and Chase Owens, and then the favorites, Evil and Yujiro, of course, uh, rounding out our, our tournaments. I, I'm, I'm looking at Aussie Open to, to win the whole thing. You are, for real. Yes, yeah. Okay. I, I think Aussie Open winning, and then FTR, I think, a strong likelihood does the Tokyo Dome, and that should be the match. Is that a match that you think uh, resonates with with the Japanese audience as well? I look at the rest of the options here, and I think that this is unless you were just going to put a rocket on Nichols and Haste, um, or find a role Naito and Sonata. You you could certainly fit in there. Naito and Sonata against FTR would be a a tremendous match as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like they they built off the stuff with Aussie Open, and I think with the United Empire and how they position them, that that would be to me the the favorites uh, going into this. But there's maybe two or three options that that you could look at. But I would uh, that's where I, that's where I'm leaning towards. So we will find out. Uh, those tournaments run until December the 14th, and with that. I think now we will shift on to Raw. These news packs way are just getting uh, longer and longer. I mean, really, it's a show within a show. That's that's what we provide you. Two for mm. one on these Monday nights. Are you ready, Way, for uh, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, the Mohegan Sun Arena? I believe I believe this is the building where Vince McMahon's uh, limo once exploded. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, to answer your question, John, am I ready? I'm almost ready. I'm almost ready. But first, I need to... <laughs> Remind everybody, we have a live show coming up very soon, November the 19th. Post oh, is it on the 19th? <laughs> it is on the 19th. I'm though. busy. Wait a minute. I got to cancel something. <laughs> One sec. Uh-oh. The countdown is on, everybody. It's less than two weeks away. November the 19th at QXT's nightclub in Newark, New Jersey. Get your tickets right now. Postwrestling.com slash live. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. I want to thank all the people that have been sending in their their wonderful voice messages. I don't know how I'm going to play all of these. I will at the end of it. I'm probably going to make one giant file with like all of them included because we seriously we have so many of them. We do not have enough shows. And I know um, I've been doubling up on these. 
please make it and I will listen to it uh, when I wake up in the morning just to kind of give me a big boost of confidence. Because I'm just that's going to be the only nice. podcast I listen to. It's going to be the positive yeah. reinforcement, okay, that I need every yeah. day just hearing uh, from people. So we're very insecure. So, so far, they've been kind, but I have a whole bunch I haven't listened to yet. So there could be some some <laughs> criticism in there too, which is fine. Uh, main event featured Wendy Chu over Tamina and Zion Quinn beating Akira Tozawa. So set your DVRs if you're in Canada and you can uh, check out that. Um, where if you're a main event viewer, you would realize that the question, when was the last time Shelton Benjamin won a match was last week on main event? If you're watching. Good to know. Yeah. The Usos and Solo Sokoa came out fresh off of their uh, appearances at Crown Jewel and no Sami Zayn on this show, but Sammy Chance reflecting Saudi Arabia and they focus on the new day and the title defense coming up on Friday. The new day are here on raw as well. And the Uso state, we're proud of you guys as the second best team in WWE wood says that you guys are chasing us because we have the record and we are first generation stars while you two were coddled. You got tryouts based on your family and we built our legacies on our own back. And the Usos come back with, an Uso style delivery where, I mean, just the timing of this, where Jay is cutting the promo and Jimmy is just interjecting. This was flawless. This was live. This was quite the, uh, the rebuttal from the Usos. I, They've got such a cool style to their promos. They've been working on this for, I mean, I feel like more than a year, maybe, you know, like really since they've started to, to speak more in, in this sort of incarnation. And I don't necessarily know if it's like, clicked super well until they began it to be attached with the bloodline in my opinion and and it's you know now everything they do seems to work do you think you and i could pull this off could we deliver a promo like this you and me like finishing each other's sentences yeah type of thing? Yeah, it'd be really hard with, with enough practice maybe we should do a review like that okay would i be jay I, I i'd be the hothead right i think you're more laid back you're jimmy um sure yeah, I'll dye my hair red. It's it's it, it would take some practice, I'm sure. Okay. Maybe that's Halloween next year. Braden can be Sami Zayn and then you and I can uh go as the Usos. Who's who's solo Sokoa? Um WH. Maybe? Oh, WH. That that's he's, a contrast. He's he's definitely more more J Uso than any of us. <laughs> Probably. Okay, so they continue here. Um and the Usos they respond here basically stating like the pressure that they had as being, you know, part of a wrestling family. Um, so the Usos and Bray Wyatt going through these, these issues of being part of wrestling families and uh, breaking out. Wood yeah. says that pressure, pressure is sitting in catering, worried about getting fired. Pressure is building a YouTube channel. Preach, right, Way? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. We're trying to even get to like 15,000. It's taken us forever. So yeah, That's it's pressure. very difficult. And building the best three-man group ever. And pressure is what turned us into diamonds. And the Usos then segue into how they stomped the diamonds off of King Wood's crown and bringing it back to that, which got no reaction that everyone has just forgotten about the King of the Ring last year. Yeah. 
Kingston is then told, you guys should just stay home on Friday. And Kingston says that no one should have been able to overcome our gimmick, being positivity preachers. We found success. We were told by everyone that we sucked. I will not forfeit this record to you. And Matt Riddle then interrupts what I thought was a really great um, promo. And I was glad that they had this opportunity to do this promo rather than we go into Friday with the match. I think this match really needed this that added some some stakes to it and can like we know what the story is but it means so much more when we hear it from them instead of us putting our own storyline together in our heads Uh, yes uh i think that's an understatement john because they should have spent two months on this you know we're talking about pretty big stakes here okay like i I, the new day going for i don't know their 15th 16th 17th like championship who gives a shit, right? Like at that point, it makes it means it's meaningless. But them defending their all time uh, winningest is it cumulative or not? Is this a cumulative streak or no? It's is, is it consecutive days as champion? This it was streak? consecutive days. Okay, so so sure, like whatever. That like that to me is it has like somewhat like you know sort of like statistical ramifications that I don't think I don't see as much. Um, in, in, in any of their championship wins. And as a result, like I've been incredibly disappointed at the lack of, I think, um, attention they've given this storyline. I mean, they mentioned it all the way back, you know, that the Usos were on, on track. And from that point on, I really felt like they were going to strap a rocket to the, to, to, to the new day to like, you know, make me care. Make me care that they want to do everything to defend this. And I feel like we really haven't had anything until maybe Friday and especially this segment. This was when they finally seemed to take it seriously. and We got a serious New Day promo. Great rebuttals from the Usos, kind of drawing up the history between the two. I love that they brought brought up the forfeiting moment from Kofi Mania. That to me was my favorite moment. I mean, other than the actual title win, but like my, one of my favorite moments of Kofi Mania was the Usos coming out during that gauntlet match when they were healed and choosing to forfeit that match in order to give Kofi Kingston that chance. I thought it was such a brilliantly written moment. And I, I, I love that it was addressed here. Um, this was, this was a great segment that I think, you know, like put into context, the importance of um, their struggles to get to these points, both of these two teams and, and also their, their long his- history between, between the other. And then they decided to throw in, Matt Riddle into it with his bongos um, almost as just sort of like a non sequitur, you know, comic relief type of thing. And I'm just like, I mean, they couldn't have made Matt Riddle look more like a goof, you know, to interrupt this brilliantly serious segment. Yeah. And and I felt it had such a negative um, to the audience as well, because I think this audience was like really into this segment. And then Mm -hmm. you, it was almost like this just took the air out of the segment by we're moving on to the comedic portion of the segment with the bong jokes that are so lame. And this sets up a six man tag that, um, would take up 21 minutes, um, which all told, this was like the first nearly like 35 minutes of the show was dedicated to these six. So it's the Usos and Solo Sokoa against New Day and Matt Riddle. And then Jay is uh, beating down on Riddle. He's yelling, who's hitting the bong now? As he had the advantage. They just continue to make uh, Solo Sokoa the monster that is untouchable. Solo also uh, introducing us to his very best Aloha Arn uh, during a a sunset flip attempt. And he takes control of King. What's that? The Aloha Arn. Are you not familiar with this? I'm not. What is that? Um, someone, someone will certainly send you maybe a, a, a GIF, perhaps. 
of Arn Anderson saying it's, aloha. This is, this is a very famous, uh, famous meme of 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 Arn, oh. or or at least a, a term that is uh, of endearment for uh, a certain Arn Anderson spot. Is this new? No, no, it's actually kind of old. Okay, so it's not like no. Cap. I I know it because I have a postcard of it. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we're, I'm looking at the time here. We can't we can't go into uh, yeah, all the sorry. explanations here, but you, you'll you'll enjoy it. Um, so Riddle uh, lands on his feet from a moonsault, super kick by Jay, but then there's an USO splash. Jimmy is the legal man and breaks up the uh, the triangle on Jay with his own USO splash. Sokoa then sends Kingston. Uh, Nails him as he's coming through the ropes as a floating bro to Sokoa, and it ends with Riddle in the ring, draping DDT to Jimmy, but he doesn't notice the blind tag by Jimmy, who comes in, and Jimmy is hit with the RKO solo, hits the spinning solo to Riddle, and if I were to show you that segment way that we just watched of this promo battle, and Friday, the New Day are going for the tag titles, you would tell me that if there's a six-man tag to follow... There's only one finish imaginable in the world, and anyone that has an ounce of a booking philosophy would know that Solo Sokoa wins clean at the at the end of this match. I mean, that's just obvious, right? Well, I get the, the new day can't win this. The, the, like the Usos are so untouchable that they can't lose in a six man tag. That's what we're at okay. right now. I think. There's a lot of, um, you know, proof that historically that would be the way you book it. I also think, though, like in modern times and wrestling fans have seen seen that instance used so much, you know, leading up to a title contention. Like it to me would almost telegraph, you know, the, the opposite happening, you know, on Friday. Um, I almost get the sense that they wanted to kind of, you know, have a new so versus New Day pairing and a match without as uh, with as little of that interaction as possible. You know, just to kind of keep the match fresh on a Friday. Um, and instead, they just, you know, put Riddle in here to to have him take the loss. I just thought of this as not having enough um, uh, enough courage in your, in your own booking here. That the New Day, to me, they need everything going into this match. This is a big deal for, for Friday. And mm. this is a, a team that I don't think anybody has any illusions to is winning yeah. this match on Friday. That, to me... I don't think we are at a point where the Usos are so untouchable that they can't eat a pin here to set up a major match. This is not a trivial pin that they are yeah. giving up here. No, I, I don't disagree that like this match it's totally not, done with a purpose. This match does not feel that important. And, you know, for for something that is like, you know, essentially for the all time record at stake with they happen to be lucky enough that the team that actually holds that record is an active team that it's still currently wrestling. It's not like they're trying to, uh, they're, they're wrestling who, like who's a demolition here, you know, like they're not trying to beat demolition for the record here. You know, they actually have the new day on the same brand that are active uh, competitors. So I really wish this match felt more important that, and, and that it wasn't as much of a foregone conclusion as, as it, as it is on Friday. But I would argue that the, that the Usos are way more important than the, than the new day at this point. And I, I think they want to be very protective of any sort of pinfall loss that they give to either of them. I mean, unless you're Logan Paul, of course, you know, unless you're Jake Paul, then serve them up, um, serve them up to the Paul brothers like they did, you know, multiple times on the Sunday, but um, not for the new day. JBL comes out. He has sold out all the great arenas, the Budokan, Staples Center, the Garden, the O2. But this is not one of those great arenas. 
the poor Mohegan Sun Arena here. The, the Budokan he, is, is is that legit? Is that like a WWE tour, like to Japan or something? I don't think he has ever sold out the Budokan. No, I don't. I don't. I oh, think okay. I think this was a lie. I I don't know if he can actually take credit for uh for any or of any these, of them, to, really, to, to be quite honest on but, on his. But own. did he headline a sold out Budokan or at least like take part in a sold out Budokan show? I'm trying to remember, like they when they did when they've gone to Japan, like they've done Sumo Hall, they've done Yokohama. Um, I they they may have done Budokan somewhere in there, but I don't think with JBL. I don't think so. I'm trying to remember. I think they even did they did a TV there in like '05, but I I don't even know if he's uh, okay. Done Bud- no, Budokan. no, he they, they have John. I, I just quickly looked this up. This currently from uh, this from Pro Wrestling History, um, tw- 2004, Eddie Guerrero versus JBL in the main event. What does it list the attendance as? Uh, 9,614, according to ProWrestlingHistory.com. All right. That's uh, like, like Budokan so can he, hold like 12, but based on their conviction, like that, that's, that's a very healthy number for, for Budokan. So eat your words, John. Okay. Bow down. I'm, well, um, the that, there we have it. God. So who did he work on that show? Undertaker? Eddie. Eddie. Okay. Yeah. Then we uh, so he he rags on uh, the Phillies losing to Houston. Put your chubby woke hands together for Baron Corbin. So Corbin is out to take on Cedric Alexander. They have certainly um, dialed back JBL, where he is putting over Cedric as a great performer, a former tag champion. He's just not at Corbin's level. Um, JBL also said that Elon Musk called him and said he will buy Twitter as long as Baron Corbin stays on the platform. Um, uh, Cedric got some offense, but then swung through the middle rope and caught in the end of days. Actually, a nice transition to the finish, and Corbin pins him in two minutes and 18 seconds. The perfect length here for the, these Corbin matches, unlike uh, last week where it went on forever. I wondered if there was like sort of a concerted effort to like give you cleaner finishes on this particular show because of you know um, what what has become a pretty big criticism of recent Raws, um, just requiring so many distraction and non finishes. Um, you had more clean, clean finishes, certainly on this show, but that kind of comes at the expense of like, I would say relevance, you know, um, and you had what I would term more as like jobber matches here, you know, and this was kind of an example of that with Cedric Alexander, sort of a foregone conclusion of who would win in a two minute match, no less. Seth Rollins, the only thing they had advertised going into tonight's show was an open challenge with Seth Rollins. Like they had nothing mm-hmm. else announced for the show. So he's out and he's, He's received as a babyface, and he acts like the babyface. He is confronted by the Judgment Day, and Balor says, I have a bone to pick with you. You cost me gold a few years ago. Yeah, like over six. And now Balor is out for revenge all these years later for SummerSlam. And he's going to cost Seth some gold tonight. What, be- what are we talking about? The Like when... This was when Balor got the shoulder injury at that SummerSlam when he won the he, Universal he won title. The he won Why the belt, but then he had to vacate it the next night. Oh, uh, okay. okay. Because he was hurt. All right. Got it. So the OC then comes out, and Seth just takes off. So we've got uh, OC and Judgment Day in the ring, and Styles says, this isn't over. And Balor says, the only thing over in this ring is the Judgment Day. <laughs> that was a good comeback. Styles notes it's always been three versus four. We still haven't, we still have not found a solution for Rhea, but someone found us and they reveal the solution to the Rhea problem 
is Mia Yim, who makes her return to the company, attacking Rhea Ripley with kendo sticks, uh, fitting right into WWE attack mode, where she was armed with a kendo stick. And Styles and Balor have a standoff. Balor bails, and then AJ nails Dominic with a Styles clash. So it is now even four on four with a female on each side for these two sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big. uh, I mean, we've, you know, like throughout the Paula Beck run, we've kind of had like he's made sort of like reappearances from people that have been let go um, a bit of a staple. And this week it was Mia Yim. And I thought it was like a really, you know, like satisfying reveal to the tease that, that they set up. Um, I think she looks really good with the group and um, no, there's no bullet club history, but I mean, I, I also don't know <laughs> if, if you needed it uh, because I think that pool would have been pretty slim. Um and I think pairing her next to somebody as, you know, dominant right now as Rhea Ripley is a really good role for Mia Yim. So um, certainly um, better than her last run, at least, you know, to start. Yeah. I mean, she goes from um, trying to end the last rodeo of Mickey James to uh, to Raw. So, you know, that loss just uh, sent her over over to WWE. So there there you have it. That's that's our program. Um, and that's uh, that's that. Um, Kathy Kelly. I, I was. I mean, it was fine. It was. It, it was. It was fine. Um, do you think long term, like this, this pairing? We don't have to with, keep this conversation going. If if the, you don't have to drag this out. If I mean, I, I didn't have any bad. strong thoughts on this. It was like yeah. we, it remains to be seen. Kathy Kelly's with Rollins. He confirms the open challenge is still on for tonight. Great. Otis took on Elias and. Elias drilled him with a pair of knees, but then takes out Gable on the apron, is distracted, and hit with a world's strongest slam. Three minutes, Otis wins. And that was that. <laughs> it really was, yeah. I mean, really cold match, I would say. You know, crowd didn't really care about either of these two. And, I mean, for Otis, maybe not as concerning, but I think maybe more concerning for Elias because he's, you know, relatively new here. He's not a guy who's been jobbed out. And here... um, I almost um, feel like they're, you know, Kevin Patrick mentioned that Elias has yet to make a stamp on his current return. So it tells me that they might be building up some sort of losing streak story of irrelevance for Elias, you know, um, maybe to build up to another transformation. But then the end result of this match was also completely focused on Otis. So it almost tells me that, you know, Elias might have intentionally been an afterthought here. And Otis is the one getting built up for something. And then my favorite promo on the show was Byron Saxton with the Judgment Day and Finn Balor. I don't know what his uh, objective was, but he's going through all the number of problems that the OC has. And he ends with, they have 99 problems and they don't have a solution for any of them, which was the alternative title that Jay-Z was going to go with. Yeah, yeah. I was um, waiting for uh, Balor to tell... uh Saxton, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I wish he just continued like rapping here. <laughs> They've got 99 problems and they don't have a solution for any of them. <laughs> so one time that Finn Balor took the cake over Dominic, who says, they think they found someone who can take on mommy. No, no. And then Ripley tells them they can bring an army and it's not going to make a difference. And the Judgment Day walks off and Ripley walks into Bianca Belair and they have a brief interaction. That seems like something that will be well down the road. 
Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, it seems like a bit of an end game for um at least the next major match for Bianca Belair. Um, you know, like you can always, I think, put Rhea in a war games um with the heel team, but that almost doesn't seem to be, you know, her like the direction right now. So um No, if you it feels like this four on four deal would be Survivor series. Well, it's five on five. Those are the teams. Um for no, for, I'm talking about for the Judgment Day in OC. Oh, yes, yes. yes. For them, okay, it's yeah. four. I thought you were talking about the war games. But yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So, um, but you know, this is a, a could this be Rumble? Could be, could this be as far as WrestleMania? Rhea and Bel Air. I think this is big enough. This could be a, a Mania match, depending mm-hmm. on, on what other options you have. Um, like there's n- surprisingly like Rhea, like being out of the women's division has made her feel hotter than ever as part of she should be one of the big ones in in the rumble i i think that you could certainly extend this Mm -hmm. uh damage control had a a a parking lot incident with bel-air oscar and bliss where they they yelled and the officials thought this was too too heinous so they were separated Belair comes out and she is with bliss and oscar and says it isn't over with damage control calls them out Bliss says that they only won the tag titles because of Nikki Cross, and then Sky and Asuka argue and yell at each other in Japanese, and it ends with Sky calling her bitch, and this this brings them to blows. Well, Asuka called her baka multiple times first, you know, and that's uh, it's not very nice. I'm I actually really like this interaction between Asuka and Io. You know, I'm happy that like um, Asuka is sort of like. Um, screaming in Japanese into uh, an audience that does not rec- uh, understand it is finally at least being understood and reciprocated by somebody else on the roster. So these two are actually finally able to have a conversation. I don't know what they said, but um, I, I imagine things got really heated. And, uh, you know, just through their, I think, physical chemistry uh, or, or just the charisma from the both of them, I, I thought this was very successful. I was especially pleased because this crowd did not start chanting, what? You know, um, they they got into this. They got into this uh, complete exchange in Japanese, and it made me hopeful that like these two, whenever they're set for a singles program, they might even be able to tell a, a story. Um, you know, maybe we 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 get past the lack of uh, uh, what chance first, and then maybe at some point we'll get sit down interviews with subtitles. Huh? How about that? Maybe the what will be replaced with baka. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, actually a great idea. Like, if she turned this into an actual chant, for sure. I mean, Usi is over. Look how, look how. We're, we're ready for a new, new vocabulary, new chants in professional wrestling across the board. I'm all yeah. for it. Yeah. Belair says, this is war, and this will end at war games, as everybody just looked up and thought of William Regal. And Nikki Cross jumps Bel Air from behind. It's four on three, and the women get uh, Bel Air, Bliss, and Oscar all get laid out, and they accept. So it will be a five on five match, as the graphic determines. But right now we have four on three. So one more to join Damage Control, and two outstanding spots on the mm-hmm. babyface side. Which, if they keep as uh, unannounced going into Survivor Series, I, I think that's the way to play it. If it's yeah. kind of the, the wink and a nod of you know who it's going to be, but we're not going to announce it ahead of time, but it can only be two people if we're going to make it a surprise. I think that'd be wonderful. You know, um, it would be a great way to, to reintroduce them. I mean, 
they the audience would be will be happy if they if Sasha and Naomi make any sort of appearance, you know. So even if it's at the end of the match, but I I I would certainly love this more, you know, to actually see them compete. That that pop will be huge in Boston. Um, but uh, yeah, so it looks like you know. Um, do you think there's gonna going to be much of like mixing of the brands, or is this going to be the exclusive Raw match and then SmackDown gets the men's? I'm expecting probably the bloodline on uh for for, for the yeah. men's match that would seem to make the most so sense. So the men's, you know, so SmackDown exclusively tells the men's cage match story and then raw for the women's. Yeah. And and if you have that that pop at the end of, of Sasha, like that that could close the show. Mhm. It probably sure. should. Austin Theory and Shelton Benjamin. So this was set up by Austin Theory calling him Mr. Irrelevant and asking, when was the last time you even won a match? So they set this up. Um, they talk about Shelton's time at the University of Minnesota, being in the OVW class of Cena and Lesnar and Batista. And A-Town down gets blocked. Benjamin hits a German suplex. And then Shelton scales to the top and gets uh, his eye raked. And it leads to the A-Town down in 239. Austin Theory wins. But more to come with theory. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that. That was this. Yeah. No, uh, certainly not much to speak about with this one. Then it was time for the whistleblower. The Miz comes out and he cuts a promo on the whistleblowing Johnny Weasel. He calls Gargano's interview last week false and the evidence was doctored and it was a deep fake. So a lot of forgery going on here. Even... Miz's father believes Johnny Gargano, so he has to defend himself and mentions meeting with a major Hollywood producer who wants to tell his story, but that's going to take time. So he's going forward with a defamation suit. This prompts Johnny Gargano to come out, and he says he has to blow the whistle on himself. He had hoped that the interview last week would shame the Miz into paying Dexter Loomis, but that did not happen. So he needed to get stronger evidence. So he hired somebody. And it turns out that the big Hollywood producer that The Miz met last week was a private investigator hired by Johnny Gargano. And the producer was wearing a hidden camera. And Johnny Gargano has a universal remote that controls the Titantron. So we're going to play the footage on Johnny's command. So we see in black and white footage The Miz out at a dinner with this producer And The Miz states off the record that everything that Johnny Gargano said last week was true. And it was a plot to boost The Miz's career. And then Dexter Loomis started to get crazy. So he stopped paying him. And WWE corporate was asking too many questions. Seems like that that, that board of directors uh, special investigative committee, they were very busy even after uh, their last investigation was completed recently. I guess so. Getting into this. And Miz says, if a project goes under, then no one gets paid. So days before the, uh, the 25th anniversary of the survivor series, looks like Paul Levesque uh, watched wrestling with shadows on the way home from Saudi Arabia and thought to himself, this major climactic, dramatic scene of Bret Hart secretly recording Vince McMahon that ties everything together. How could we make it awful? And that is what we got here. <laughs> I hated this segment. 
Well, I mean, I think it's kind of par for the course for what we've been getting with the Miz and Dexter Loomis. And, you know, the, the, the very unfortunate thing is that, I mean, Johnny Gargano has to be a part of this entire thing. And certainly his addition has not made it better. Uh, it's in fact really dragged Johnny Gargano down. And that'll be more than evident by the end of the, us finishing, uh, talking about this entire segment. This um, is some really terrible material. And Gargano is not the type that can overcome this, uh, with, with great delivery or mm-hmm. wit, uh, that is attached to it. It's, it's to me this is this angle has really pulled Gargano down. Like Miz oh, yeah. can adapt very well with this stuff, but mm-hmm. this is a very cold feud. And boy, was that evident with a 16 minute match to follow this that this audience did not seem all that into. Yeah. Um, they tr- Gargano tried here uh, to to have a good match, but they just did not seem into it. This went forever. Um, Miz was doing his it kicks, then ducks a head kick and. Gargano lands a super kick. Then Miz comes back with his own super kick, which even Corey Graves notes, "Ah, I wouldn't quite call that super. And it did not look very great. Gargano does a slingshot and was supposed to connect with the Miz's knee. Did not look like that connected all that well. Gargano hits a suicide dive and then drop kicks Miz to the floor. And Miz gets yanked underneath the ring. And he comes out from under the ring with a turnbuckle post. The referee goes to check under the ring, so Miz wallops Gargano with the the ring post and then pins Gargano in 1558. Miz is then celebrating on the aisle when Dexter Loomis runs from the back. So we've got some phantom person underneath the ring, unless we believe Loomis can teleport. Well, I mean, if you actually see the spot, it was kind of Miz pushing himself into the bottom of the ring. So he was basically using sort of like the threat of Loomis to justify him going into the ring and getting the referee to check down there. He did it himself? Yeah, he pushed himself in. It was actually really well done. I, I was losing thought, my mind. Yeah, he pushed himself into the bottom okay. of the ring. Okay. Uh, I, I do a total 180 on all my thoughts on this. <laughs> um, uh, so Loomis takes him out with a chair shot, and then he runs away from security. And uh, security did not steal the spotlight this week like uh, like last week. There was no uh, clean <laughs> leap over the barricade like that yeah. one dude last week who was just uh, the star overall. Um, God, this feud, it's just – we do have a casualty in this feud now, and it's Johnny Gargano. Yeah, yeah, I do definitely agree. Um, I feel like this was the end of at least sort of the mystery, you know? I feel like they had everything kind of spelled out, you know, pretty definitively here with um, Miz essentially, you know, um, admitting on camera that he did exactly what Johnny Gargano said. What now, a payoff. Is, well, again, I, I feel like they just kind of stumbled into this entire thing without a, a real payoff. And you know what? Like, if that was the case, then credit to whoever was on the writing staff for at least coming up with the conclusion, because I know it probably wasn't an easy job trying to explain this, this very convoluted thing. But um, it, 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 it's just kind of resulted in a pretty tepid feud, you know, that in the end, we have to sacrifice a Johnny Gargano to get to Dexter Loomis versus The Miz for, you know, um, it's it's certainly hurt Gargano, and I, I wish he wasn't the one in here. Like it, it it's fine. Like I think it, this didn't take up that much TV time. It was just kind of in its own little pocket, uh, a mid card comedy that the the twenty four seven division might have you know existed in. But when you're pulling in like a real talent, you know, like a Johnny Gargano, who we were all very hopeful for when he returned, would you know certainly not be losing to the Miz, uh, even in you know um, cheating fashion like this. Um, it's it's kind of disappointing. Damage control is with Nikki Cross. They're 
Nikki is just like them, lost and forgotten, and they send her out to destroy Dana Brooke tonight to let out her aggression. So Dana Brooke, the 24-7 champion, comes out to defend her belt. I thought this was more surprising than Carl Anderson being acknowledged as the never openweight champion on Saturday. Dana wears the 24-7 title, and Kevin Patrick says... We know what this title means to Dana Brooke. She is a fighting champion. It's like, I'm sorry. I watch Raw every week. What belt is she a fighting champion of? Because I've missed this run that she has had. Has it been on main event or something? Like, you know, we talk about dark matches or in her backyard. WWE Dark Elevation. Um, I don't know. Yeah, there was there was no elevation uh, during this show for, for this match. Um, again, like dead crowd for two and a half minutes uh, mm-hmm. cross. Um, Bailey was on commentary and was just getting asked question after question. Nikki is attacking the neck and then graves asks Bailey, where does Dana Brooke fit into the equation? And Bailey like had no answer. Like, what are you even asking me about Dana? Dana has nothing to do with us. Like, and then as she's in mid sentence, trying to make sense of this question, <laughs> Nikki pins her and wins the title. This could not have been more flat. Um, yeah. And Nikki cross wins um, the forgotten 24 seven title as somebody felt, well, this is the spark that Nikki Cross's new character needs the 24 seven title. Sure. I mean, not even holding the title, you know, uh, and we'll get to that in, in a second. But, you know, let's first talk about Bailey on commentary here. Like I, Bailey on commentary is usually hilarious, especially when she's with Cole. Like she's 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 just wonderful. I don't know what it was. You know, today it, it definitely felt like she didn't feel like she wanted to be there. And I don't blame Graves for at least trying to get the conversation going, trying to pull something out of Bailey because nothing was happening. And granted, like in the end, this match wasn't very long, but like. I, I just don't even didn't even understand the decision to put her on commentary if she had really nothing to say. It was odd because at the beginning, Graves like subtly acknowledges her loss on Saturday, but then is like, but we're not going to talk about that. It was like they went overtime to make you like not think of this last woman standing match. Like Bel Air, did she even bring it up? Like it was a nothing on mm. this show in terms of like this this big win by Bianca Belair. It was like we're pushing war games so we don't even want to focus on the fact that Bailey just lost in the you know match second from the top on Saturday. Well there's that. I mean they, exactly that reason. You know they they, <laughs> they want to keep they want to keep the feud alive, you know and, well, what what did you build up for a month? It's like this match we want you to forget as soon as it's done with. I mean if you if you decided to watch it on that day, that's probably all they cared about. I guess Kai did mention, you know, um ba- Bailey wasn't pinned and therefore Kai considered um that not to be a real loss. Right. Okay. Saxton is with the OC and the head baddie in charge, Mia Yim. Uh, they're going out for drinks tonight, and Mia is paying. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're going to watch Battle Autumn. Maybe on like Mia's we, New Japan World account. Yeah, we we've always I think maybe wondered like, well, what exactly you know makes somebody a Bullet Club member? What unites them? And I I think today we learned it's it's just going out and drinking, you know having a new drinking buddy. That's, that's really kind of all it requires. Andre would have been in the bullet club. Uh, certainly. Yeah. It makes you wonder how the box, um, would have entered, but. Well, maybe you can have non-alcoholic drinks as well. You you get a pass. I think as long as you pay. 
you're in. Seth Rollins came out and notes that it's now been 10 years that he's been on the main roster. And they say, thank you, Rollins. Thank you for coming to work every week. And again, treated like a total baby face here. I can't believe and, it's been 10 years, honestly. Like, I mean, I know I say that a lot these days, but it's been 10 years since the Shield had debuted, dude. That's a long time. Yeah. It's, like, uh, does it feel that long to you? It feels like 10 years. Yeah, it does. Wow. Okay. Mustafa Ali appears on the screen. He wants to answer this open challenge. I'm sorry. This is a long raw, and there was uh, there's only so much here. Mustafa Ali wants to answer the challenge, but then he gets attacked by Bobby Lashley off camera. I thought this was going to be Dexter Loomis, but it's Lashley who accepts the challenge and he blames Brock and Rollins for him losing the title. Ali returns and this poor dude gets tossed over this production equipment. I imagine he is still being scraped off the floor from this throw. Yeah, yeah. We should probably stop it and talk about um, the two big character changers on the show that being in, in Seth Rollins and Bobby Lashley. I think the, the Rollins one, you know, has, you can maybe argue been in motion for a while now, like with the crowd chanting his song and everything last week, I feel was last week. He worked as a complete baby face yeah. with theory. Yeah. And this week it, it was almost cemented, you know, with, with, um, with him cutting a directly baby face promo, doing an open challenge, which is a very baby face thing to do. Um, and then one of the casualties, of course, in all of this is Mustafa Ali, who was right in the middle of a program with Rollins, had <laughs> challenged him. And then all of a sudden, we just kind of forgotten about it until this moment where he was made even more irrelevant. It's certainly an awkward position for him because he's a baby face and he certainly can't challenge Rollins now. Um, and then the other person is Bobby Lashley, who turned on Sunday. Um, what, what, you know, it's almost like as if they kind of swap roles here, you know, like you had the Rollins kind of, kind of fresh as a baby face. And then Lashley very abruptly turning into a heel. What, what do you think is sort of the, the decision-making behind those two moves? I think they realize that this is an audience that wants to get behind Seth. I think he's a very refreshed in the baby face role. I think it's a, it's a better, I, I think that this show needs a top baby face. It's very much lacking in that it's, and I think this very much coincides with, like Matt Riddle is not that guy on this show. He will be oh, yeah. a featured babyface, but like we went as far as we were going to go with him as high as he was going to get in the Seth feud. And I think they they have brought him all back to the comedy now. I think they realize this is his role. Um, it's better than our truth, but he's not going to be um, higher than that, or, or not higher than where he is now. So Seth becomes that babyface. It's the crowd wants it. It's something that I think is a lot more healthier for the show to have a top baby face. I think it helps the title. Lashley, it was it coincides with a turn with him. I think that it's it's fine to turn him as well. So I I don't mind any of these directions. The Lashley one is a bit more uh, interesting to me because I, I would argue that like you know coming off of the U.S. title run he had, I thought he was going to move into you know sort of a ultimately a Roman Reigns challenge as a baby face, you know, against the heel Roman for his championship because I felt like he was getting that hot. Seems like they are um, going a different direction, but you can argue Roman at this point might be a babyface, so maybe that's still very much on the on the table. They did show the highlight of the end of Lesnar Lashley, but the way they positioned Lashley on this show and the way he discussed Crown Jewel, like if you had not seen that show, you would have left this just assuming he won the match. Like that's how they treated it. it was like that this guy won, which is kind of the story. He kicked Brock's ass and then slipped at the end and got pinned. So. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That that was our setup here for Seth and Bobby Lashley for the U.S. title. But before the bell, Lashley sends him to the floor and is destroying Rollins, then runs into a super kick and is thrown into the steps. But then Lashley stops a pedigree and lays out Rollins with a flatliner, rams him into the post, and the officials are out. Seth is dead, and he gets put through the desk by Bobby Lashley. So he's laying there. The match is not going to happen. And as we go to our final commercial break, out walks Austin Theory with the briefcase as everybody is uh, texting their friends, dude, dude, it's happening. The cash-in is happening now. Turn on the channel. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) 90% of the cash-ins that have occurred in the past, you might... You might actually, you know, have some truth in what you're saying, but this one, I, I felt zero like anticipation. You know, like this is one of been. I mean, by the end, it, it really kind of does cement it. But it, even the tease of it, I think, was. Let's put it into perspective here. You know, this is a man using the Money in the Bank briefcase for the United States Championship. Okay, I was fine and, with it. And they've done a great job, you know, rehabbing some of these championships. But still, how does a guy holding this for this entire time justify not going for the very top title? He was going to um, go for the NXT title a few weeks ago. Jesus. I mean, that might have even been, you know, a bit more. No, it wouldn't have been more logical. But still, like, you, he's going to have to do some explaining. Okay. Why? Like, you know, like, is he, does he lack that much confidence? Huh? That, like, he, you know, he, he doesn't want to go for Roman? Maybe. Maybe Maybe he thought on the eve of the midterms, his talents were needed to run the U.S. and not (laughs) not look at the at the the undisputed universe. Yeah. Yeah, sure. He wants to pick his battles. (laughs) So he picked one with Seth Rollins. He cashes in the bell rings and he nails Seth with a forearm smash. Fisherman buster. Rollins kicks out of both. A-Town down gets countered. Seth tries for the pedigree, but Theory reverses and hits his own pedigree for a near fall. Theory then rolls into a power bomb, and Rollins fights back. The stomp gets caught, and he hits A-Town down. One, two, and Lashley pulls out the referee. And Theory is yelling at Lashley, so Lashley decimates Theory. He runs him into the post twice, applies the hurt lock. Theory is down on the floor. Lashley takes off. The referee awakens. And he starts counting theory and the man beats the count into the ring right into a stomp and gets pinned in 457 by Seth Rollins. Mm. I had absolutely no problem with this, but by (laughs) God, Austin theory looked like the biggest geek on this show by the end of it. Okay. In the history of the money in the bank. The The, the worst one, the worst ones to come to mind were are this that Corbin one that ended up just being a, like he failed with Cena, I think it was. That was a really bad one. Um, those are the ones that come to mind. I'm, I'm sure maybe I'm I'm forgetting some. Um, this, this would be right near the I, bottom. And certainly, I think, I, I think I think I'd rather be like somebody who lost the briefcase, you know, like a like a Mr. Kennedy, than to like number one inexplicably cash in for the United States Championship and then fail. You know, like, I mean, this to me was hilarious. Like, I, I thought they were going to at least have him win this and it gets some, hopefully, some sympathy on Rollins and he chases, but I can't say that I'm, I disagreed with this outcome either. I don't want to see Seth bogged down with Austin Theory. I think getting this briefcase off Theory, it's actually an albatross off of him. Like, they were just, they were not going to go with this guy. It was not going to click at this point. It might sometime down the road. Um, 
And I, I don't think this is a giving up on theory, but I think it is bringing him back to, to like hard reset and let's start fresh because this just oh. did not pan out. And this was a waste of a money in the bank overall. Like you well, got, you got a, a commercial break out of it to hopefully build to the last 10 minutes, which may end up being the second least watched quarter of the whole show instead of the least watched quarter of the show. I think that was my biggest problem with it. Not the fact that he, he didn't win, but the fact that like, um, you know, you had talked about many, you know, many times the idea of him losing the briefcase to somebody else, you know, namely somebody like a Kevin Owens that I think would have at least like mm, been able to challenge Roman Reigns um, to a match or at least like, you know, built up some actual drama that would have helped elevate, you know, uh, uh, Kevin Owens and not to mention really just the briefcase as a prop in itself. Do you remember that idea we had before Money in the Bank of just the interesting ways you could go if Sami Zayn won- remember Sami Zayn was oh, in the match lovely. to win the briefcase to protect Roman mm-hmm. and that's in the background of all of this like mm-hmm. you could even have it where Sami he's not even carrying it it's like we're forgetting about the fact he's got this briefcase and mm-hmm. one time the breaking point comes and there he is in his locker room and we just see a shot of the briefcase and it's been like in the background for months as though it's been just stowed away because no one's cashing in on the tribal chief and that and thus they've had a reason to keep sammy around but there's a breaking point down the road totally yeah and you could go with with zane and reigns you could go with zane and owens challenging for the tag titles for a unique thing in montreal um yeah, that, that was would, back in July that we were like throwing out that idea. Um, that uh-huh. you could, granted, it was not where this Zane story is now, but again, it was it was something that was still well, percolating uh, by that point in July. A lot better than this turned out to be. Well, yeah, point is like you know the money in the bank is is a device that you could have used. I think to much more effective. Um, I don't know uh, drama than what they ended up with here, um, which was ultimately I don't know. I feel like something that like made Austin Theory look worse. Then before he he won the the, the briefcase, um, so I was disappointed in that reason. Now, like logically speaking, okay, nobody would have bought Austin Theory beating Roman Reigns for the championship in any scenario, no matter how you know uh, tough of a match Roman Reigns you know uh, had had just been through. Um, so, like, and would know, have been a horrible idea. Of course, yeah. That said, when they initially put the briefcase. On uh, Austin Theory, I mean, if under a different, you know, creative control, would Vince have gone with that move, do you think? I would still say no. I, I still feel they, they would not have gone um, with, with Austin Theory. Yeah. But you it's hard. Right. It's, 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 you it's could hard be to right. Say. But I would at least say that, like, he, I would, I'd feel pretty safe in at least saying that he probably would have at least challenged Roman for it and not Seth Rollins on a, on the losing end. You know, like, to me, this, like, really tells me Austin Theory was the guy who has lost the most, you know, by this regime change. Um, under Vince, I have no doubt maybe this scene would have played better. Um, and, and again, not to even say, like, you know, Paul Beck was wrong in making this decision because really, like, I think if given the choice, would he have put Austin Theory as as the Money in the Bank winner? Absolutely, probably not. Um, but I still feel like there was something more salvageable from the whole experiment than this. You know, Vince had to get to that UFC pay per view right after Money in the Bank, so maybe he wasn't uh, giving it all of his, his due attention. Uh, a bunch of people in the chat room are saying Damian Sano cashing was terrible against John Cena, uh, who was injured at the time of that failed cashing. So that ranks up there as well. All right. Raw, 
uh, is in the books. I, I thought that third hour was pretty terrible between the Miz Gargano stuff. The 24 seven title is back. We didn't even then- mention the scene in the back, you know, with Nikki cross after she had won the belt, she walks in the back and she's kind of playing a character where she's just like, um, I missed us crazy. Yeah. So like she's, she's holding the championship. She's like staring up into the ceiling as she's almost like in a bit of a trance. She walks past the garbage bin and she drops the belt and she keeps how, walking. How did I miss this? I don't know how you missed it, but I'll tell you, I would say the same thing about Nikki Cross because I don't know how she missed the garbage bin. She was supposed to. So she to went drop- to go put it in the garbage can and she missed the garbage can. She missed the garbage can. Not and it didn't look like an intentional miss. It, it was did not like look a intentional miss. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that, well, that, that's like the end of the title then, you would think. Well, that's, that's it. Yeah. They gave okay. Her- I, I don't know how I missed that. They gave her the belt just so she could essentially Alundra blaze it, retire it. Okay. Wow. And I, okay. I'm not, ex- I'm not expecting our truth to <laughs> that, come that, in. I, that actually go. elevates kind of, uh, somewhat my, my opinion of, uh, if this was the end of the 24th. <laughs> this felt like this third hour was like, let's, ru- let's end this Gargano Miz stuff with, with Loomis. You still have the Miz Loomis match okay. at the end sure. of it. Let's get back to this though. Conceptually, like, I don't know. Does that make Nikki Cross that much, like, I don't know, dastardly as a heel for her to retire the 24 seven title. If anything, it makes her more of a baby face. But the point is you also just did that angle in NXT with Cora Jade tossing the title in the garbage. Which one? She tossed the, uh, the tag title that she won with, uh, Roxanne. Was it? Did she retire it though? Not retire it. No, she just put the belt in the garbage. I sense this was uh, meant to be a retirement, but she missed the garbage pan, garbage bin. So I don't know. They might have to redo this. Um, it also tells you that, like, hey, they probably do these live because um, this would have one they could have easily reshot, but they did not. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe if they're superstitious, it's a sign from above that this title shouldn't be dismissed. can't die. Yeah, keep it. Okay. Wow. Well, what a raw. Um, a terrible third hour, I guess, is uh, overall. Although I'm, if if the end result is that uh, we're done with this uh, briefcase for this year and we're done with the twenty four seven title, I'm okay with that. I, I'm, I'm, I think that's. It, it was not an enjoyable hour, but <laughs> and that, and and, and, the Gar- and the Gargana, oh, sorry, and the Loomis Miz thing too. That's on its way out as well. So if if all of that stuff is coming to an end, then I might in six weeks have a much higher view of this third hour that it was worth sitting through if the if it's a net positive. Yeah, was this simply just like you know the final cleanup of the Vince McMahon era? of mistakes you no, know dude the loomis miz that that has been all that's been all Le- you're right levesque that True. that cannot be pinned on a prior regime the 24 7 title yes uh and the money in the bank yes yeah those seem like those were uh you know remnants that they inherited and did not uh i i guess need to go any further with which is fine and no one's gonna miss those yeah, I don't necessarily disagree that like it wasn't a raw that kind of you know lit my world on fire. Um, I like Miyam as an addition to the OC, but it's it's hardly like it's an improvement for the low bar that I think that they've set for Miyam in her first run. But you know, I, I don't know if it's like that hot of a program. They are starting to you know the build towards a uh, war games, so um, we'll see. Like the, if it's Sasha and Naomi, it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how they build up to that. Yeah, I would think that you probably have the men's match in place by Friday, and then that gives you two weeks to really build up the show. And the, the men's match should be very intriguing if it's if it's the bloodline and your baby faces of all the different stories that you can incorporate in there, especially if you have an Owens involved. So I, I'm looking forward to both War Games matches, and I think that that's going to be a pretty big show for them in in Boston. 
On Saturday, November 19th, post-wrestling turns five years old. Hello, this is Hacksaw Jim Powers. Post-wrestling is a remarkable community. It has brought people together from all over the world who would never have met one another or convened. And some really terrific friendships have started from that. And that's a beautiful thing. Thanks so much, guys. Congratulations. Leave your memories at memo.fm slash post wrestling and join us Saturday, November 19th at QXT's nightclub in Newark, New Jersey for our five year anniversary show presented by our friends at Real Digital. A live Q&A, the post-origin story, VIP meet-and-greet and event t-shirt with the largest gathering of the post community ever. Tickets available now at postwrestling.com slash live. Let's go to some of these super chats here. And again, if you're watching us live on YouTube, you can always submit a question or a comment. We always appreciate the support. First one comes to us from Davidian Alter, who just simply sends $2 to support. There might have been a sticker attached to it, but unfortunately, I can't see it through StreamYard. But thank you for the support anyway, Davidian. We go up next to Hanzi, who sends a $7 super chat. Thank you, Hanzi. Hanzi says, what if the Miz is pulling a Nathan Fielder and he even orchestrated Gargano exposing him? To keep his name in the discourse. Huh. So have you been watching working with him? Yeah. This whole thing has been completely elaborate in that uh Gargano. This sounds awful. All of this it. sounds awful. I just want this angle done with. We've been watching this for literally over two months now. With yeah, so, something tells me that that's I'm ready to not, move not on to headed. anything. Where's been, where, where's Ciampa in the story? Was that all part of the plan too? Um that Dex, Dexter Loomis took this guy out? Yeah. Uh, I he's just kind of uh, inexplicably uh, disappeared. They, Miz that must have been after the payments stopped. Yeah, uh, I don't. So know. They, they can justify anything that's too crazy. That was after the payments stopped. That's that's what we can say, right? So this I worked mean, for like a week or two. I imagine they'll 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 just suggest that like Loomis like I don't know kidnapped um uh Champa as ransom for the Miz and the Miz <laughs> didn't care. I. Dude, I, I have no idea. I thought they they brought Gargano in just to kind of pair with Trampa in all of this, and I don't think that that's going to be the case anymore. All right. <laughs> Let's go to some feedback. I want to hear what everyone's thoughts are on this show. We start off with Saeed from Vancouver. What was up with the audio today? Everyone around the announcer sounded muted and or muffled. You couldn't even hear the referee's count. Was this an issue you had? I didn't notice anything. I thought the crowd sounded bad, but I I thought that was just because it, it, I, mean, I don't think that was a miking issue because uh, yeah, they, they got up issue. for certain parts. You could hear them when there was engaging things and, and not for others. An absolute classic promo that should have been just left as is by the Usos and New Day instead ruined by Riddle. I see two options for war games. Either Rhea joins damage control with either Candace and Mia joining the other side or Sasha and Naomi. If it's left as a surprise, we haven't seen the 24 seven title since Hunter took over creative and today it's defended and then tossed in the trash. Why? I think that answers itself. So instead of having theory, just go to NXT and hang out there since clearly Hunter doesn't have anything for him. He does this. Why not just have him lose the briefcase to someone or wait, they had until July. Just utterly stupid. Could have given the briefcase to Kevin Owens or Sammy. Imagine the golden storytelling there. But here we are. I'm just baffled. Yeah. I mean, I tend to agree with that. You know, I feel like they could have done something with it. But maybe, maybe you know, Lebeck has plans for everybody heading into WrestleMania season. And maybe they, they didn't have enough. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with excuses for it. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, let's go up next to Dirk. 
or Alex from Portland, who says, the good, the Usos winning tonight. I can't imagine how tired they are with those Saudi flights and the Crown Jewel rematch. Amazing promos, too. The bad, pretty much everything else on the show. The crowd was noticeably quiet tonight, and the various surprises fell flat. Nikki won 24-7. I felt bad for her. I used to be into the dorky Gargano Miz Loomis feud, but tonight it's soured on me. Does Loomis look silly not talking and admitting this truth about his relationship with the Miz? Couldn't he at least make a drawing? His lack of communication is really not helping the story. Yes. Um, the ugly Seth and Theory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why didn't Loomis just say it? Well, who would have believed him, I guess? Is that the justification? Uh, it, at least uh, at least if there was a picture, then we could say something drew in this whole program. <laughs> yeah. of, of all the... Of all the things that I complain about, this this pro- program with the Miz and Loomis, it has generated the most uh, private feedback I've gotten from people who are just really? <laughs> do not care for my disdain for this program. I'm like, what, this people love this it? is the this is the hill you're going to die on, the Miz and Loomis, because I I will come at you all day of why this program has been terrible. Like this is the one you want to defend yourself against. Yeah, I mean, early on, I, I can I can maybe understand it a bit more, you know, for people who just kind of like look to Raw for some of this sort of goofy, you know, out there storytelling. But um, to me, that was always like, you know, reliant on them having an actual satisfying ending. Um, I don't know if this was that. <laughs> I like how you're going out on a limb. I, I don't know if the hidden camera at the end of two months uh, was the payoff we all wanted. Muggin writes, the New Day and Usos have been done multiple times in the last five years, but Woods was on one as he and Kofi made their match on Friday feel musty and put over how important the record is. Rest of the show hummed along for War Games build, and it was nice to see Mia Yim back in the fold despite the Mohegan Sun's lack of atmosphere. Seth's U.S. title open challenge took me on a wave of emotions with Lashley attacking him and Theory cashing in his briefcase on the title he won before until Rollins retained. Theory losing after all that was a clear message and Hunter undid a booking mistake that Vince made when he was still in power. I'm still laughing about it. Did we see a double turn with Rollins and Lashley? I think both those turns were in effect before tonight's show, but I think mm-hmm. it, it kind of solidified the new roles for them. Agreed. We go up next to Jay from Colorado, who says the best of Raw definitely happened in the first hour, in my opinion. Even though the use was a new day and riddle took up a large part of it, the wrestling was good enough. I thought Gargano came off as kind of obnoxious, and if I was somebody who didn't know him from NXT, I wouldn't have much reason to get invested in him. He's coming in with this huge revelation that The Miz is a snake oil salesman, and it's like, yeah, dude, have you not been watching the main roster over the last two decades? We know this about The Miz. You aren't telling us anything we don't know. Also, I wonder how many kids are going to try to smuggle a universal remote into WWE shows. The rest of the show was so-so. Glad I had some other things to do. Okay. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I agree. Gargano, like, I, I don't think has been showcasing his best attributes as a part of this feud. I think it's been a terrible fit for him. Um, and it's surprising considering it's Lebec, you know, controlling all of this. Well, it was a Raw that um, sort of is, has hit a, a bit of a lull, uh, I, I think is uh, the kindest way to say it mm-hmm. over these these last couple of weeks where I think some of these, these stories have either um, overstayed their welcome or have just been... Um, a combination of very like uh, good starts, unsatisfying endings, um, some questions in in the middle that has left uh, some of these things loose. I would say like the the big picture. I would say I'm much more optimistic on in, in the company of like the major programs that are going on. But Raw in, in particular, I think it's um, a show that has uh, like take a if if your favorite part of this was 
the first 30, 40 minutes of this show, like that was all like a SmackDown program, essentially with with Matt mm-hmm. Riddle thrown in there. Like, take that out of this show. And what did we have? Uh, the OC versus the Judgment Day, you know, and, and the Judgment Day to me have have cooled off, like say, significantly without the the Rey Mysterio Dominic storyline. And I know they're probably going to save that for like I would assume maybe WrestleMania at this point. Um, but right now it's certainly you know a bit cold, colder. But you know, um, BEM I think was a was a decent addition. But then you had some jobber matches here, um, and then of course significant event in the main event. But um, you know that's going to receive mixed uh, criticism as well. All right. On Tuesday, Way and I are going to be back. It's time for small talk on Tuesday. So tune in double, double ice cap and espresso patrons. We have all our regular slate of shows coming up this week. The wellness policy on Thursday, uh, where you are tackling religion. We will solve the question of religion and spirituality with me after you know, after solving the case of fatherhood last week, I mean, you know, no, we're we're just gonna have a, I think, you know, a, a discussion about the topic as we usually tend to do with the wellness policy, and this is going to be one where Jordan and Neil are going to, you know, be taking more of the lead because I'll say for myself, I mean, I don't know if like religion has played too much of a role in my life, and um, I'd be curious to hear from other people who you know, uh, for uh, who who for like who have uh, ha- had extensive uh, backgrounds with it. And uh, for people who have not as well, you know, it's it, we're trying to approach it from a very open topic type of conversation, giving our own experiences as well as li- listening to the experiences of others. So that'll be Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Look out for that on Thursday. And then, uh, yes, Saturday, we are going to have a edition of Post Pro Res with WH Park and Karen Peterson. Karen is actually uh, going to be going off to Japan uh in just a couple of days, she will wow. be there for the Stardom uh, New Japan crossover event. She will be live there in Japan. Cool. So we will get to hear from Karen before uh, she makes her trip over to Japan with, with WH. And on Sunday uh, will be the UFC 281 post show. Uh, Eric, if you are listening to this, we're going to go live at 1 p.m. on Sunday. So look out for that. That's, the date. that's this week and not next week? Correct. UFC? Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the schedule was listed for next week, but all right. Uh, yeah, it's a Sunday. It's, it's yes, a Saturday. you're right. Of course, yeah, I made, I made the graphic. So yeah, it was just kind of uh, we put it in the in, in in my in our Google Doc um, for next week. But are you all set for uh, Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira? Oh, yes, Michael Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier. It's going to be a very good card on Saturday. I'll That's bet. my prediction. Sunday right. at 1 p.m. Eastern time is when you're doing that. Also, the latest edition of Postmarks will be released this coming Saturday. David and Bruce, I don't know who they're going to talk to just yet, but um, look for that in the post wrestling cafe feed. I think I know who it is, but I, I don't know 100%, so I won't, I won't say it in case I'm wrong, mm. but I think I know who it is. Okay. Uh, so there you have it. That is our schedule. Check out everything at postwrestling.com and support the site at postwrestlingcafe.com. $6 a month gets you all of our bonus audio, minimum of two extra shows per week, uh, ability to send feedback, archives going back five years, including 119 editions of Rewind Away, including the watch along that the world is talking about featuring our look back at the WBF pay-per-view from 30 years ago, starring Barry DeMay. Uh, yes, among others. Yeah. A show that will uh, live in infamy, I think. For, for Can everybody. you survive it better than I did? That is the question. That is the key. That is the... Uh, <laughs> yes. Can you survive it? That's the question. I'm all done. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, and we will speak with you later this week.